Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, how's it going? This is DJ, your host, and welcome to The Backpack. This is another installment of a segment we call The Canteen, where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This week, we continue our Luke mini-series called Snapshots and Shovels as we examine the topic of prayer. Jesus' disciples come to him and ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And we echo that request in this week's message as Pastor Blake unpacks a few shovels that will help us as we dig in to prayer. So let's listen in as he brings us this week's message. Hey, uh, we're going to be talking about prayer, so it feels a little strange to not begin with that. And we're going to end with that um, because one of my pet peeves is to talk about prayer and to not actually pray. So um, let's pray, and then we'll open up God's Word. Father, we are thankful that because of that very moment that David spoke of, where Jesus gave himself up for each of us, declared the work of salvation finished, and gave us access to the Holy of Holies that we can come to you in prayer and ask for the Holy Spirit. And so, Spirit, we pray that in these next few moments as we open your word, that just as the disciples asked, you would teach us to pray. That you would give us a, a perseverance, a boldness that comes from the, the power of God working in, in us, and through us and around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I do want to invite you to open Luke 11, uh, either on your physical Bible or your device. And uh, thank you for taking part in reading the passage that we're going to dig into today. <clears throat> this has all been a part of a series here at Christ Community that we're calling Snapshots and Shovels. And the image that we're thinking of, right, is that moment when someone's breaking new ground on a project. And we're asking, as we watch Jesus travel with his disciples, what does it look like for us to experience God breaking new ground in us and in the people around us? And so uh, over the last three weeks, we've dug into Luke chapter 10. And Luke chapter 10 has really been some snapshots of what it looks like when God's breaking new ground in someone's life, sometimes in ours. And now beginning today and over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about some things that we can dig into, some shovels, all right? So, so Luke's, Luke 10's snapshots, they really humble us and, and they encourage us, they inspire us even to, to get out our shovels and to dig into these things. Um, over the last few weeks, we've talked about these snapshots of, of what this looks like, childlike faith and, and mercy and devotion to the person of Jesus. If you were here last week, DJ shared uh, so well from Mary and Martha's story, the, the reminder that busyness in our lives exposes our bitterness, and we've got to slow down, right? Like that, when God is working something new in our life, it often comes as he slows us down and, and helps make him the priority of our lives. We talked the week before that about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan and this really strange idea of the gospel that, you know, no matter how hard we work to do good things, 
we still are the man on the side of the road, broken, beaten, and in need of mercy. It's humbling to think about that. And then we go all the way back when Jesus reminded us that if we want to see him work, we have to have this childlike faith. And, and it's just humbling. And, and, you know, as you think about those snapshots and those sermons over the last few weeks, at least two of the three weeks, one of the application points was to pray. And so today, as we, as we heard from those first 13 verses of Luke 11, Jesus is going to teach us and help us to dig into prayer. So um, now just to give you something to look forward to, uh, next week uh, we're going to talk about digging into spiritual warfare, and then the week after that, digging into to personal holiness. And, and it's an important thing to answer the question, why? Why do we want to dig into these things? Because if, God, if God's going to do something new in us, whether that's in your personal life or, or prayerfully and hopefully in us as a, as a family, as a body of believers, if God's going to do something new, he asks us to dig down and build our foundation on the rock. And so these next three weeks are some tangible, practical ways to do that. So Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says, He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Can you make a mental image with me? The disciples are watching Jesus pray. Have you ever watched someone pray? Have you kept your eyes open while we're praying here at church? Right. They're watching him pray, and, and they're waiting to ask him, would you teach us how to do what you just did? It's, it's a kind of a neat picture. Th these disciples who have been ministering and doing miraculous things by the power of Jesus are really curious about Jesus' prayer life. You know, it's, it's common enough that, that, that Jesus has a certain place to pray. Like, he is doing this enough. In fact, in Luke's gospel, he mentions Jesus praying more than any of the other gospels. It's, it's really important to Jesus, and it's important to Luke's telling of his story. And the disciples have recognized this, that prayer matters to Jesus. And, and so now, they want to learn about prayer themselves. Now, I'm going to operate with an assumption that if you're here today, you're, you're you're seeking Jesus, you, you want to be more like him, and, and because those things might be true, you want to pray. Like, we want to pray. So what's stopping us? Uh, DJ mentioned last week, you know, he said, anytime you talk about prayer in a room of Christians, uh, the overwhelming theme almost seems to be that I wish I did it more, or we feel inadequate, or, or we even sometimes admit Prayer isn't really a part of my life. So, so we want to pray, but, but what's stopping us? In, uh, in March of 2009, there was a, a Dutch art artist, love this guy's name, Johan van der Dong. Um, he decided that God needed a telephone number. Make this a little more tangible, right? So, so he got him one. He gets a cell phone number, and, and he wanted to, to display to people that God was available anywhere and anytime. And a lot of people appreciated this opportunity that, that he gave to them. And so um, within a week, over a thousand people had left a message for God. And in one sense, that's kind of encouraging, right? But um, on the other, you have to wonder how people felt after they called this phone and, and they made the connection. Because when you called the number, 
he'd set up a, a voicemail. And so you'd hear on the other line, other end of the line, this is the voice of God. I am not able to speak to you at the moment, but please leave a message. Isn't that kind of interesting? Doesn't exactly convey the idea of a God who is available anywhere and anytime. And then, to make matters worse, after six months, <laughs> you know, he had better things to do with his money than pay for a cell phone line that people were just calling and leaving voicemails to. But sometimes I think that's probably the idea that's behind our prayerlessness, isn't it? That deep down, we're not really sure what happens when we pray. Are we just leaving a message for God on the other end of a line that he's, he's not checking? Uh, sometimes what stops us is the perception or belief that God isn't really available to me. Jim Cimbala said it this way uh, about, about what's underneath our prayerlessness. He says, when we don't pray, it's because we don't sense our need for God. Right? And that, that can be a lot of things. Sometimes it's our, our own pride. It's, it's this idea that I've got everything that I need, so why would I even go to him and, and ask for anything? Uh, this idea of prayerlessness, it just kind of pervades our life sometimes. It creeps in. And there was another leader who said, the penalty of not praying is losing the capacity to pray. Uh, sometimes, right, we, we don't pray because it's just not been a part of what we've done. And, and we don't understand, well, what, what's the consequence if I don't pray? Sometimes we tell ourselves that we don't pray because we don't know how. There's lots of reasons. What, what's your reason? We want to pray, so why don't we? We want to be like those disciples who waited for Jesus to finish praying. They watched in awe and then humbly said, Lord, teach us to pray. Philip Yancey says, if prayer stands as the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. Most of my struggles, he says, in the Christian life circle around the, the same two themes. Why God doesn't act the way we want God to and why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point where these themes converge. Today, I want this passage to remind us of this one big idea that by God's power, prayer transforms humility into boldness. Prayer transforms humility into boldness. And if in verse 1 we see these disciples humbly asking to be taught how to pray, what does boldness look like on the other side of Jesus' teaching? Look with me at the end of the passage, Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9 through 13. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? First, let's just think about how much boldness it takes to ask, to seek, and to knock. The boldness to ask. Just asking for things in prayer is a little bit daunting, right? It, it is hard to ask for help. 
But on the other side of Jesus' teaching about prayer, he's telling you to ask and then seek out the answer and then knock on the door. He's inviting your boldness. But it's not just the boldness to ask, you see. It's, it's the boldness to ask the Father. The Father. You see, Jesus was a Jew, and he was living in Jewish culture. And in, in a Jewish culture, God, or Yahweh, as they would have known him, was to be feared and revered. And he should be. But, but to call God Father in this culture was introducing a whole new relational element that the men and women of this time didn't understand. No, 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 like, this is Yahweh. How can I pray to him like he's my father? How can I come to him like a child would come to his father? It requires a boldness that I'm not sure is in me. To come into the father's presence and to ask him something was beyond bold. So, so prayer must be doing something. It must be changing or, or transforming something. It's actually transforming our humility into the kind of boldness that can ask the Father, Yahweh. We say, what are we asking him for? It's the boldness to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God himself. And, and He's a gift to, to lead and to guide us. And, and so when you ask God the Father in prayer to, to give you the Spirit, you're essentially saying, God, could you, could you come even closer? Could, could the power of your Spirit live in me and work through me? Now, I, I could be wrong, but that's a pretty bold prayer for sinners who struggle to pray at all, is it not? To ask that the God who created all things, who knows all things, who understands all things, who hears all things, who sees all things, would come and be in us. Bold. And when we learn to pray, when we learn from Jesus how to pray, this is where we end up. We, we come now with this new boldness that is willing to ask God for his very power and presence inside of us. In Acts 4, we, we read about an early group of believers who gathered to pray, and, and they boldly asked for this kind of boldness. And we read in Acts 4.31 that when they had prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Now, these aren't just Bible stories. This is New Testament times, right? Like, what could happen if we could learn from Jesus how to really pray and ask the Father for the Spirit. But how? How? How, how? how does prayer transform our humility into boldness? The kind of boldness that lets us pray sincere and authentic and real prayers to the God of the universe. If you've got a physical Bible, I want you to stick your finger in Luke 11 and flip to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If not, we've got it on the screen for you. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and following. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Now, some of you are like, amen, yes, let's draw near. And some of you are like, what did I just read? And that's okay, because we need to talk about this. He says first, we have the boldness, this is something that we already have in prayer, to enter the sanctuary. What does that mean? When God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, one of the many things that he did was instruct them to build a tabernacle, a place to worship him. And in this tabernacle was a place that that we know as the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was the place where the presence of God would would come down and and be. And Leviticus 16.2, God says this, The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the curtain in front of the mercy seat on the ark, or else he will die, because I appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. The presence of God. You see why it might be hard for someone living in a Jewish culture to think about entering this place in prayer? Like he's already said, dude, you come into this place, you die in my presence because I am holy. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the boldness you need to go there where God is into the holy of holies. Like, what does that mean in our day, though, right? Like, we don't have any tabernacles set up. There is no secret room in Christ's community where a cloud is descending. What, what does this mean? Well, in Hebrews, it says, we have the boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, and he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. Jesus didn't just help us go in. It's a, it's a new and living way to access God. He blows this thing open, all right? So that moment that David talked about in his story just a few minutes ago, where Jesus gives up his body, he gives up his spirit on the cross, Right after that, something really incredible happens, okay? So the writer of Hebrews says that this happens through his flesh. And when Jesus died, you might remember that one of the things that happened was the veil or the curtain that led to the Holy of Holies was torn. Luke 23, 45 says the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. That place where God's presence was, was symbolically ripped open so that any who knew Jesus and believed in him as their Lord and Savior could come into that place and be in the presence of God. And this was all a a physical representation of the new reality that believers in Jesus have constant access to the presence of God through prayer. We draw near to him boldly through this new and living way in prayer with our hearts sprinkled clean, Hebrews says, from an evil conscience. Now, what does that mean? Well, in this old covenant where you had the Holy of Holies, right? If the priests were to go in there, like there was a time that they were to go in there and make a sacrifice, but to do that, they had to sprinkle blood on that mercy seat. And so this sprinkling of blood was a sacrifice that that allowed them to go in and make this offering. So, So just like sprinkling blood used to make things holy in the old covenant, when your heart is, is sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, it's, it's this idea, right? It's this truth, it's this reality that the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross makes your heart a place that is holy so that God's presence can be there, so that the Spirit can live in you. 
Jesus' death on the cross makes your heart a place where God can dwell. Now, if that doesn't give you some boldness, I'm not sure what does. That he would do all of that so that you could be with him. It cleanses your evil conscience. All those things in you that want to do the wrong thing, it takes those and it changes that heart out and it sprinkles it clean and makes it holy. And any good thing that wants to come out of that is a result of the grace of God working on you. And then it says our bodies are to be washed in pure water. Not because it saves us, but because it proclaims to everyone that we have been saved and given this boldness by Jesus to access the presence and power of God. Baptism is how we do this, right? It's an outward expression of the inward reality that God has sprinkled your heart clean and prepared it to be his home, his tabernacle, his place. That's what's happening as you pray. I then... That's just incredible to me. That you think about this huge story that spans generations and times and peoples and nations. And all of it leads to this, this time and this moment in prayer where we can access God himself. By God's power, prayer transforms our humility, the humility that says, I need you, Lord, I need you, into boldness. And with the help of the Spirit now living in believers, you, you find the boldness to ask, to seek, to knock, to really dig into prayer and see God do incredible things as he answers prayer. Matt Chandler says prayer does two things. It shows the complete sufficiency of God and the complete helplessness of man. And when those two things combine and converge in that moment, God's power does incredible things transforming our humility into boldness. So how would the Lord teach us to pray? Today, we're going to talk about three shovels that help us dig into prayer. All right, three shovels that help us dig into prayer as we look at this, this passage. And uh, this passage, I, I want us to think about the ways that Jesus is teaching us to pray in this way. There's a lot of different kinds of shovels in real life. So we've got a picture of some different kinds of shovels. You may not think about this, right? But uh, you've got snow shovels, you've got round points, spades, what, you know, all the things, lawn edgers. And you've got all kinds of shovels. And each of those shovels is designed for a specific purpose, right? So as we talk about these three things that Jesus teaches us about prayer in this passage, I want you to realize this. All of these things, I think, are helpful in developing our prayer life. But I also don't want us to feel legalistically bound to do these things just in a certain way. Like there are certain times and certain places where these things are helpful. And I believe that the Lord has prepared this time just for us. All right? There's no wrong way to dig into prayer. Like, I can edge my yard with a, a, a non-edging shovel. It might take longer, but I can do it. And so these three shovels begin uh, in, in verse 1, just like Jesus said, with a, a certain place. That's the first shovel, a certain place. Uh, the place that you pray isn't holy, but it is helpful. Having a time and place that you pray protects you against prayerlessness, um, why? Because you have something to return to if things get off track. N not only that, having a certain place and a certain time promotes more prayer in your life. Uh, I I've noticed it happening this way, right? Sometimes it promotes that in you because you begin looking for God's response to the things that you've prayed for. 
So if I know that I'm praying for something day by day by day, I begin to look and see, God, how are you answering that? What, what does that look like? Another way that it promotes prayer is like um, when I miss that certain time, when I'm not praying in that certain place, it causes me to think more about that during the day. Like, ooh, I probably need to pray for that. Let me, let me just pray for that real quick, Lord. But it can also promote it when, when you're praying for it regularly, right? It, it just, it always, always constantly having that, that set time is helping you to come back to this idea of praying and praying and praying. Having a time and place reminds you and others that prayer is important. It has enough value that, that you make it a point to include it in your day. People begin to notice, just like the disciples noticed Jesus praying. Caitlin's really good about this in our home. So uh, my certain place isn't anything fancy. It's like on one of our couches in our living room between 5.30 and 6.30. Some days I'm great about it. Some days I'm not. Caitlin's usually there with me. Uh, but she's really good about if, if the kids come down, and she's probably good because they want her more than me. But <laughs> she, they'll come down, and a lot of times she'll tell them, hey, we're praying right now. We're reading our Bible right now. And I, I need you to find something. You can, you can read your Bible. You can do something different. Um, but this is, this is our time right now, that, that my, my, the Lord and I's time, right? So it, that is, is what it looks like. It's not ever perfect. It, it's, it's not perfectly focused. It's, it's not fancy, but it is a certain place. It's part of the morning routine. And when it's absent, we, we know it. So I want to encourage us as we begin to think more practically. You've got a sermon guide, and uh, I want this to be like maybe your, your first prayer card, all right, for the week. So on the back of that, uh, where it's blank, I want to encourage you right now to write down a time and a place, a certain place. Maybe you already have that, and you're just, you're just affirming that. You're putting that down. If you've never done this, it's okay. At the end of all this, I'm going to ask you to try this for three days, Okay. But write down a certain time and a place. It doesn't have to be an hour. It can be five minutes. It can be whatever. But a certain time, a certain place. Go ahead and write that down. First shovel that helps us dig into prayer is a certain place. Now you've got that certain place. What should you pray? And that's where a structured plan becomes helpful. Our next, our next shovel when the disciples ask Jesus this question, he responds in verses two through four with the Lord's Prayer that we read together. And, uh, you know, when we read that this morning, I'm not sure if you caught this, but you might have been like, wait, this one doesn't sound like the one that we always repeat in the locker room. I knew there was a reason that we should have stuck with the King James Version, right? That, that's the one that we pray. And you might have even noticed that, that this one's different than Matthew's version, right? So, what that teaches us or tells us is that these words, the Lord's Prayer, aren't magic words. Because if they were, um, we would need to say them just like he said them. And that would even be in a different language than what we're speaking them. So, so they're not magic words. Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray. He's, he's giving them a model, a structured plan. And it's a good one. Well, I, I use this model many times on Sunday mornings. It's, it's helpful for me to focus that way. But God isn't as concerned that you follow a specific plan as he is that you draw near to him in prayer. And having a plan for how you're going to do that makes your prayer more effective. Uh, I want you to think about a structured plan like this because I think sometimes when we think about a structured plan in prayer, it can feel a little restricting. 
It can feel like that next thing that's going to be a burden or make you feel guilty about not praying. I, I want to see if we can shift that. Um, are you familiar with demolition mining? In demolition mining, uh, they create mine shafts by taking two basic kinds of actions. There are these really long periods of time where guys are going in and they're, they're boring these deep holes into the mountain, into this really hard rock. And, you know, there's a lot of skill to it and they're having to pay attention to how far they are and how deep they go and all these things. And, and they're taking all this time to do this and patience and steadiness and, and all this skill. But then once the holes are finished, they, they put these fuses in there, right? Little sticks of dynamite and they connect all the fuses and then somebody comes along, lights the fuse, hits the button, and stuff happens. It's pretty cool. As we think about our prayer life, right? We all long for that moment where we see this big answered prayer where the fuse is lit and everything just begins to clear out and take shape and we can see where we're going. And so a lot of us end up like, we just pray like fuse lighting prayers. God, do this big thing. Blow up this sin in my life. And those are good. We need those, right? But we also need the structured plan that's burrowing deep into these hard places that takes patience and skill and resolve. And, and, and those things, many times, those prayers that we feel like are meaningless, that nobody's hearing, those are many times the things that are setting God up to do a work that is just mesmerizing. Pastor Tim Keller comments, he said, this helpful, illustra helpful illustration warns us against doing only fuse lighting prayers, the kind that we soon drop if we don't get immediate results. If we believe both in the power of prayer and in the wisdom of God, we will have a patient prayer life of whole boring. Mature believers know that, having the handle, know that handling the tedium is part of what makes for effective prayers. Having a structured plan helps us pray effectively in ways where we both trust God's sovereignty, but also give ourselves to joining him in the work. So uh, one way that you can do this is, is by simply making some prayer cards. Typically, I'll use three, three by five cards or you know, some little notebook. But today, I just want you to use, again, the back of your sermon guide. And, and this morning, I want to walk us through just four areas really quickly that I want you to put on the back of this card, and we're going to use it here in just a minute, okay? Number one is this. Uh, as Jesus is saying, teach us to pray, one of the phrases that he puts in there is, your kingdom come, right? This idea that God's kingdom would come to earth, and it's doing that through the church. So I want you to, to on that first thing, number one, how can you be praying for your church? Let me give you two ideas. One, on each row this morning, uh, there was a guide for there's 31 prayers that our leaders here at Christ Community pray, one for each day of the month. And, and that might be one that you could do. And so I think today's uh, talks about um, a desire for us to know and learn one another's stories, right? Um, that would be a prayer. You could pray for your church. You could pray for your community group leader. You could pray for one of our pastor elders. You could pray for one of our deacons or our staff, right? But, but what's one prayer that you would want to pray for your church? Go ahead, go ahead and write that. Jesus says, let me teach you how to pray. Your kingdom come. How can that happen through our church? Another line in that prayer is, give us each day our daily 
bread. And when we think about how God provides for us, that's most tangibly seen many times, and how God provides for our family. And so the next thing that I want you to do is just list out the names of your family members. I, I was reading a book on prayer recently in preparation for this, and I was just deeply convicted that my prayer life for my family was pretty awful. How can you pray for your spouse? What's, what's one prayer? What's one thing that you would want God to do in your spouse's life? In your parents' life? In your child's life? Would you just write their names? Maybe if some specific prayers come to mind to do that. How, how could God provide what they need? Number three, Jesus talks about in, in the Lord's Prayer to you know, forgive us our sins. I don't, I don't know about you, but like sin gets heavy in my life sometimes. And so many times we try to carry that. We try to, we try to work it out on our own. We try to do two good things to make up for the bad thing. But the Lord says, let me teach you how to pray, and you can just repent. You can just ask God, forgive me for this sin and help me to walk in newness of life. So is there something that you've carried in here this morning you need to repent of. Go and write that down. This is just for you. And then last but not least, I I want to encourage you to be reminded of of our mission and our purpose that not only as we're being forgiven, that we are in the business of carrying Jesus' forgiveness to others. And I want you to think of a lost person in your life. Could be a family member, a friend, somebody sitting beside you. And I want you to write that person's name down. I want to encourage you. You've just made a structured plan for prayer. So let's get to the third shovel, and then let's actually get to some prayer, okay? Because I'm, I'm anxious to pray. Number three, a shameless persistence. Verse five Jesus says to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And Blake says, friend, go home. Verse six, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. And then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That word shameless boldness can also be translated persistence, right? It's this idea that we understand the boldness of God in us, and we keep coming, we keep asking. Uh, Dane Ortland says this, The battle to pray is not mainly a battle against prayerlessness, but a battle against discouragement, cynicism, and unbelief. It's in us. We're too proud to have shameless persistence. Jesus tells such good stories, and I love this story about shameless boldness or persistence as it can be translated. In other words, when you pray, just don't give up. Just don't give up. Keep believing. Keep trusting. One of the ways that I've found really practical in helping me with this idea 
is um, I've just started this pattern of praying for things for three days. Because I've, I've come to this idea that if God can raise Jesus from the dead in three days, he can certainly change things in three days of prayer. And so, uh, much more practically, like when I hear a specific way that I can pray that's outside of my structured plan, I pray for three days, and at the end of that three days, I, I may trust God with it and, and move on, or if I feel, la- feel led, I'll add it back to my list and I'll pray three more days. And, and this helps me to not feel so bogged down by praying for everything all the time, or, or, or the opposite, saying a quick prayer and just moving on. In fact, it's teaching me that our prayers for specific things often take this same three-day shape of the gospel. When I'm really praying about something, I'm coming in desperation, much like Jesus came to the cross in desperation, needing the Father, crying out to God. And so in prayer, I do too. But then, when I think it's going to get better, it actually moves into death and defeat. I'm wondering if God's even heard my prayer. I'm wondering if life can come from death as Jesus goes to the tomb. And as I often feel like nothing is happening in prayer, I feel the same defeat that those first disciples might have felt for three days. But in shameless persistence, I often experience the power of resurrection. That just as Jesus got up out of the grave, I experience God getting up and giving me as much as I need. So would you do this with me? You've got your new prayer card, a structured plan. And you've thought about a a certain place. And would you pray over your new prayer card for three days? And let's see what God does. Believing that prayer works. That prayer transforms our humility into a new kind of boldness that we've never lived with or experienced. DJ's going to come and here in just a minute... We're, we're going to pray together. I, I shared uh, the sermon with several of our leaders, and one of our pastor elders, um, he, he, he wrote back, and, and he said, <laughs> he said, I want so badly for our church body to come to the altar of prayer, at the stage stairs, up front, in the back, wherever. I just want them to use the time to cry out to God and quell the unbelief this morning. I want them to find a friend or even a stranger in the crowd and just pray together, to ask God to move in our hearts unashamed and unwavering. Church, we can get together. We can be in community groups and read our Bibles. But if we really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we will learn to pray. We will pray and we will pray and we will pray. There's only one reason the prayer doesn't work, and that's sin. Isaiah 59, verse 2, we read, but your iniquities are separating you from your God. Sometimes we just think of sin as like a giving us a bad day. It separates you from God. It takes away all of that magical, mysterious work of salvation that Christ did on the cross. It separates you from that. Your sins have hidden his face from you 
so that he does not listen. You're one prayer away from drawing near to Yahweh God, the creator of the universe, the only one who can provide everything you need, including a life that never ends. Repent this morning. Do that in prayer. For some of you, you need to repent and be restored to communion with God. And we're going to take communion here in just a few minutes after we pray. For some of you, you need to repent and be baptized, right? So, so that you can pray, so that your prayers can be heard by the living God. Some of you just need to repent and, and repent and pray to God that you might be saved, to come to him as a humble sinner and say, transform my humble, sinful heart into a heart that is sprinkled clean, made new, and bold enough to ask God the Father for anything in his name. I just want to spend a couple minutes praying before we do anything else. And just as I read, it, like, Come forward and kneel on the hard, dusty concrete. Pray in your chair. Grab a friend and pray on the side. I don't, we don't care. But pray, 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 pray. Come to the Father. And if sin is between you and God, then repent. And let's pray together and ask the God of the universe for his gift of salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. I'll be down front if you want to pray together, if you have questions about this. But we're going to play a song, it's the Lord's Prayer, a structured plan for a couple of minutes. And at the end of that, we'll give more instructions on communion. But I want, I want us all in this moment as a church to pray. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, we hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ Community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.